Welcome to the MACP podcast. My name is Jared Green. I'm a musculoskeletal physiotherapist uh, from Birmingham. And it gives me great pleasure to do a, a group discussion on this podcast where the focus is men's health physiotherapy. So uh, thank you, Ruth, for inviting us to your home down in Southampton. And I'd like to introduce Dr. Ruth Jones, who is a uh, internationally recognized specialist in women's and men's health and based down on the south coast and we've got mr bill taylor who is a men's and women's health physiotherapist from edinburgh and bill is recognized as one of the leading men's health physiotherapists both in the in the uk and internationally and we're also joined by a musculoskeletal physiotherapist who has an interest in men's health mr adrian wagstaff from reading okay first of all ruth can you just tell us a little bit about what what you do in men's health physiotherapy well, I came to men's health a little bit later than I did women's health, and I think that it's so under-recognised as a problem. So yes, loads of people might come to me for unresolved pain, particularly in the groin, but alongside that, there's so much urinary dysfunction and erectile dysfunction, and the talk I did on Women's Hour just highlighted how many people have got such a problem and that basically is it the fact that I want to make sure that people know that there are conservative stuff that you can do to help particularly urinary dysfunction erectile dysfunction and pain whether it's in the testicles whether it's in the penis whether it's in the groin the fact that they don't have to live with it Great. And Bill, can you tell us a little bit about what you do within men's health physiotherapy up in Edinburgh? Well, I think I do quite some of the things to Ruth, really. Um, and I, I've been a manual therapist for quite a long time, for probably um, maybe 30 years. And um, I started seeing men's health patients 15 years ago. And they kinda, I kind of saw them a little bit by default, really, in that there was no one else to see them. Um, I was treating a lot of... of musculoskeletal girdle pain which kind of and when those patients came to see me they would start to tell me about um, urinary dysfunction sexual dysfunction and they would also tell me that they were getting better with my manual therapy treatments and so I was really interested in this and and really started looking at it a bit more clearly and I was interested in why that was the case why was what I was doing with their lumbar spine and their pelvis um, changing their symptoms in the pelvic floor and that's really how I got interested in it. And I think, um, I, the same as Ruth, I, I see patients who have problems with pain, erectile dysfunction, uh, pain with ejaculation, pain in their penis, pain in their testicles, pain in their rectum. And and I, and I, so I've kind of um, developed um, my way of treating them over the last um, 15 years or so. And this Ruth. is the whole point, is the fact that I, just like Bill, the fact that they might not have mentioned it first off when they came to see you, right? However, the fact that I've seen on ultrasound and on palpation, but when I treat the lumbar spine, the pelvic floor, let's go. And the thing is, I'd love somebody to do some research on that because it's really, really Yeah, really and hopefully we'll come to that for some, what some of the, the key, maybe gaps in the, the men's health research are. Uh, so you've, you've both mentioned that you see people with urinary dysfunction, maybe sexual dysfunction, erectile dysfunction. What are the majority of the men's health patients both of you see? What, what are the, what's the most common conditions you would see? Probably the most common condition I see is, is pain. Yeah. yeah, they come with pain. And um, often... If, they, if they've had 
chronic pelvic pain for a long time, their sexual libido is pretty reduced. So the last thing they're really talking about is a sexual function because actually they want to get their pain under control. Because often they might be on medication, the pain itself might reduce the libido, so they're really, they're, they have no sex drive. So they're much more interested in getting the pain under control. I think you would agree with that. Would I you? completely agree with that. The fact that actually it hurts, so therefore I don't want to do it. And the fact that so many guys will go, I'm not interested in sex anymore because it just hurts when I have sex. And so therefore, they don't. And obviously that causes a bigger problem in their lives, exactly. within relationships, or yeah. um, it makes them quite depressed, it makes mm -hmm. them kind of withdrawn to themselves. And they've often been to see people about it. They've often been to see uh, medical people about it who have not given them a good answer. Mm -hmm. And they're often have ever-increasing, I, I, I always say this, but they've had ever-increasing investigations done mm -hmm. with ever-diminishing returns. And so by the time they come to see us, um, they, they really are... We are probably at a level of tertiary referral. They've been through everything. They've been told the last, oftentimes, the last consultation they've had with a, with a consultant is that they'll say, there's nothing we can do for you. And exactly that. There's nothing we can see. There's nothing wrong. And again, the aspect of there, it's wonderful that they've had all of the tests and they've actually shown that there's nothing pathologically wrong. And that actually just is beautiful when we work with them because we are often the first people to actually reproduce their pain. Okay. And mm. that's, it's shocking for them. It's like going, ah, oh, it's but, not all in my head. Mm. I'm not making it up. And patients who've got problems with libido, erectile dysfunction, uh, maybe secondary or associated with pelvic pain. So these aren't traditionally areas that we associate with physiotherapy. So how do those patients find either both of you or how do they see physiotherapists who treat this in the NHS? Because these aren't areas that we would probably associate with, with physical therapists, regardless of what area they work in. Well, I, I would agree with that. I think that's true. Um, and I think most of them, probably certainly in the beginning for me, was the internet, were, were patient advocacy uh, websites support groups um, and then word of mouth yeah. people speaking to each other yeah. um, I find more recently over the last maybe five six years I've kind of developed relationships with urologists mm. and um, sexual health uh, doctors and gynecologists who refer patients to me but certainly in the beginning it was it was all internet based and in your experience both of you have uh, have you know, probably worked with other physiotherapists in this area. Are there more physiotherapists treating these type of patients now? No, not no, at all. And this is why, again, that aspect of us doing this course together, and we will be running more because it was oversubscribed. The point being is, it, there's so many physios doing pelvic floor for women, but pelvic floor men, hello. And, and I think that's really true. And having just been on the course this morning and... and seen your enthusiasm Ruth but also you know perhaps more so relevant for me as a male physio Bill your enthusiasm and you being very making me feel very much at ease with talking about male and uh, so we're seeing male and female patients mm -hmm. which in issue is like oh gosh you you see women uh, mm -hmm. as well mm -hmm. but now having gone through the morning of it I, I, I'm sort of looking at you thinking yeah that seems quite normal yeah so how do we then better and get how do we get more male physios engaged with this sort of domain. Literally discipline. more courses like this yeah, because absolutely. it is just another muscle. 
right? It's actually reducing the anxiety and literally threat associated with the fact that for men, you have to put your finger inside somebody's rectum, but you're feeling it's just another muscle. And the fact that I would do this work even if I wasn't paid to do this work because the changes that you can make in somebody's life is phenomenal. It's an area of intimacy that people, particularly men, don't talk about. Can you imagine a guy going down the pub going, oh, yeah, couldn't get it up last night? It's just not going to happen at all. Very it's true. like, it's really true. It's just, and the thing is, if we demystify it and go, there is something that you can do. And, and I think both of you are, you know, very passionate advocates of getting the sports physios and the musculoskeletal physios involved, as are people like, you know, Maria Elliott, mm -hmm. Joanne Millius. They're, they're quite keen to get more people involved. Uh, what do you think are some of the key skills that those musculoskeletal and sports physios have that are really applicable to men's health physiotherapy? I think what they bring to the table is a, is is a huge level of clinical reasoning. Exactly. And they, ha yeah. they have a great knowledge of pain, physiology, pain science. Yeah. And, and they also have great palpatory skills. Absolutely. So they can feel um, what, they, they feel very quickly. They learn very quickly what things feel like. And they, they learn the responses when you treat tissue, how it alters and what the changes are. And, and they know it already. They have those palpatory skills. And I think that is really the biggest thing. So the, the clinical reasoning and the palpatory skills. Because I think, and I think Ruth would agree that we have to be hands-on with these patients. We absolutely have to be hands-on with them. And I think the musculoskeletal and sports physios have good hands-on yeah. skills. Uh -huh, but they have yeah. the clinical reasoning. And the clinical reasoning and the knowledge. Because, because basically, again, we're used to, musculoskeletal physios, we're used to dealing with pain. We look at the big picture perspective. We don't just look at the pelvic floor. And that's the point, because we know, as musculoskeletal physios, that the pelvic floor interacts with the abdominals, with the diaphragm, with the hips, etc. the spine stuff. If there is a problem with the spine, you have to look at this. You have to look at that. And if you just see it in isolation, and this is what musculoskeletal physiotherapists do, they never look at anything in isolation. I think, and, we, and we talked about earlier today, like going up as far as, as the thoracic spine, yeah. to include that in an assessment of the pelvic floor because of the connection of the sympathetic because, nervous system, absolutely. as well as, as mechanical stiffness yeah. in the thoracic spine, which has a knock-on effect to the lumbar spine, and, and also talking about, you know, core issues with core rigidity and people being switched on too much and exactly. and I think we were talking about earlier today in the course about you have muscles that are very hypertonic and then being shown uh, patients being shown exercises to strengthen them further yeah. when in actual fact they're already switched on too much and they need to let go so they need to downtrain those muscles <laughs> and then once they've downtrained them then we can go back and revisit that and yes, think about it. Absolutely. And I think, like, I, I would call myself a musculoskeletal physiotherapist. I've been working for, for quite some time. And I think I would put my hand up and say that until a year ago, I was guilty of knowing very little about the male pelvic floor. Mm -hmm. uh, and why do you think that Even is? Most of why do you think that is? <laughs> that it's so well, neglected? I, we, we, I think it's partly... Um, well, I had a conversation with a patient the other day who said to me, what was what was I going to do the course on? And I said, oh, men's and pelvic floor. And she went, do men have a pelvic floor? <laughs> and I think that was a really pertinent 
kind of response to what I said because and, and actually she said it in you know she said it in all seriousness do men have a pelvic floor I thought that was just a woman's thing and I said well no they do have a pelvic floor and it can cause problems she went that's amazing I would never have thought that there's there's a general probably consensus out there that among a lot of people that is there a male pelvic floor I think it's a good question, and I, I think it there does. There is, obviously. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. I've palpated one today. <laughs> you've got, you know, you've, you've and that, been you know. palpated. And been palpated. So, so I think it's that there's been, you know, that there's been that lack of awareness that men can have problems on the power floor. I think the second thing is that men don't necessarily want to talk about it. They don't mm. certainly want to go and talk to their GP. And sometimes men, when they do go and talk to somebody, they don't get the response they're hoping for. Yeah. Um, and I think also there's more of a, a, a kind of a general stigma yes. about the area that they, what Ruth was saying, they don't want to, if you get a sprained ankle, you're quite proud of talking about your ankle that you sprained at rugby to your mates down the pub, but you don't want to say, you know, guess what, guys, I couldn't get it up last night, it was just awful. You're, you're not going to say that to your mates. You're not at all, and again, I, I know it sounds sexist, and I know I'm the only girl here talking about it, but the aspect of, like, the guy, I'm the one who's looking after, I'm the one who's protecting. And the fact of actually going, I'm vulnerable, it's so, so difficult for them to be able to say that. And I, and I think one of the other things I would add is that, although we're talking about pain, I actually say to my patients of, when they come to see me sometimes, because pain seems not to cut it, really. So I'll actually, I'll actually say to them that um, they, they, cut, they actually are suffering, they're hopeless and they're miserable. So I think the fact that they're hopeless and miserable adds a whole new dimension to the whole experience they have with this pain because it's, it's more than just, it's more than a, a, a 7 out of 10 score. It's more than an 8 out of 10. It's much more than that. It has changed their whole lives. It affects every single aspect of their life. And, to, and given the impact that these, you know, these conditions can have on, on, on these patients, uh, you know, are there any kind of key questions that... Uh, you know, physios should be asking these patients to see, well, do, do these people need to see a specialist men's health physiotherapist? Yes, there are. And what, what would says two or three of those key questions be? I think um, we, did a, we did a little list of that, really, because we were thinking of, of, and obviously some of them are very obvious, things like penile pain, testicular pain, rectal anal pain, erectile dysfunction, ejaculatory pain, and, um, and it can be pain during ejaculation or pain post-ejaculation it might not happen straight away they might ejaculate and then within a couple of hours the pain comes and how would you ask a patient about ejaculation okay so the thing is the point being is is from a musculoskeletal perspective right if they somebody comes and says i've got some groin pain right and they may be non-specific but say i've got some groin pain and you are as a musculoskeletal physio unable to reproduce their groin pain then what that should do is put the go, uh -uh, uh -uh, something maybe internally is wrong here. So then that NIH chronic prostatitis symptom index form about actually asking associated with how often do you urinate? And if they frequently urinate less than two hours, right, yeah, okay. and that sort of aspect there, then you can go, mm, I suspect there may be a pelvic floor component part of it. And that questionnaire is so valuable because it's a way of just illustrating that potentially because urinary dysfunction often goes hand in hand with um, a pelvic floor overactivity 
and um, so that's quite a useful thing to do so I suggest that every musculoskeletal physio who somebody comes to see them especially if they've had pain for a long period of time because again that overactivity of the pelvic floor can refer into the spine it can refer into the leg if you are unable to reproduce their symptomology get them to fill in that questionnaire really and is there any uh, sensitive way that you can ask these men about their uh, erectile function their ejaculation because I, I think i think a well, lot of us would struggle with that and that's I, I, why the, yeah yeah i think i think or is the questionnaire so, I, good for that I the questionnaire is magical for that so the point being is genuinely that patients feel it find it much, much easier to fill in questionnaires than they do actually do that. So then if you read it, right, as a physiotherapist and go, yes, there, I do have difficulty, they, they can fill that in and that will give you the information so that you can then ask. And that is exactly what I will do always with people that come to see me, that they know I'm a pelvic floor inverted commas specialist and all of that type of stuff. And they are willing and happy to talk about the urinary dysfunction. And if they've answered very positively about the, the fact that they do have that urinary dysfunction, I will then give them a Stanford questionnaire that asks about the erectile dysfunction stuff. And again, that aspect, that's how I do it okay. each time. I don't do it directly. And can you just tell us once more what was the first questionnaire so that people will be able to access that via Google? Yes, it's NIH chronic prostatitis symptom index form and that's it comes, it comes really male and it does come in female versions and it's online and you can download it and it's and yet actually if you go on our website we actually have it on there which is the place for movement and health and probably interestingly enough i probably use the questionnaire less and I probably ask the questions more. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that's because it's a bloke on bloke thing. And you're very skilled and experienced. Yeah, I've done it for a long time. And I think if, if especially if they've said there's penile pain, testicular pain, rectal pain, then I feel that's my in to say, is there any erectile dysfunction or ejaculation? And, and that's when, what I was trying to answer that question of that, about the erectile thing, is associated with men who come to see me not specifically associated mm. with that. Like the, this, almost like the sports group the of sport, people. Maybe, I work with a lot, pubis, the osteitis pubis. The osteitis pubis. Exactly. Chronic adductor strain. Chronic all of those hamstring, things. All of those guys that... They are not going to... Won't volunteer that information. And so that's why it's an easy way in. So basically, that's exactly what Bill was saying, is the fact that I then go, by the way, what do you think about this? And that is a way is that I have seen so many professional athletes that they're coming to see me because of pain. And I ask when they've got that, do you also have this? Uh, yes, I do. They're so embarrassed about it. Embarrassed saying, but by the way, we can help with that too. And that's what's really, really important. And Ruth, uh, now that you kind of mentioned some of the elite sporting patients that you, that you see a lot of, is there any way that you found has been useful to really engage, maybe say that some of the head physios at some of the Premiership football clubs or some of the rugby clubs or in the ballet or athletics who are, who are really looking after a lot of these elite performers who have a lot of maybe lumbopelvic groin dysfunction, but possibly they're not really looking at the pelvic floor. Well, that's what I did. When I did the talk to the Football Association, um, essentially that's what's changed, is the fact that basically I said, if they've got unresolved groin pain that you can't sort out, 
had all the surgery, had all that. But even before you do any surgery, ask them, send them those questionnaires. Mm. And then if they answer positively to those, then get them to evaluate the pelvic You have to, because there's so many people who've had unnecessary surgery. Because I think we probably both see so many people that have had um, surgery for sports hernias, Gilmore's groin, yeah. um, hamstring, um, repetitive hamstring tears, tendonitis, and they've had all the treatment, but they still have the pelvic floor symptoms. So they still have the symptoms. They still have the symptoms, and they come in, and actually when you assess them, it turns out that it's a pelvic floor issue. Exactly. My name is Uzi Ehiog and I'm the Communications Officer for the MACP. This is a great opportunity to take a quick break and to tell you about the MACP and other continuing professional development activities which you can access. The MACP offers high quality educational opportunities through a variety of formats, including short courses, lectures and online learning, including topics such as motivational interviewing, introduction to musculoskeletal radiology, manual therapy, spinal masqueraders, MSK updates, and of course, conferences. In 2016, the MACP will host the IFON Conference. The IFON Conference is a prestigious international conference held every four years to celebrate innovation and research within the neuromusculoskeletal physiotherapy field. In July 2016, we will host a conference in the UK, in Glasgow, and the theme for the conference will be Expanding Horizons. This conference will be of benefit to both clinicians and researchers alike, and will bring together leaders and innovators in the clinical, academic, and research fields. This conference will cover five strands, which will include advanced assessment, practice, and managing complex patients, integrating research into practice, health promotion and public health, changing roles, and scope of practice, teaching, learning, and professional development. To find out more, simply join our mailing list and receive all the latest news and information on iPhone 2016. This will include being the first to hear our keynote speaker podcasts as they are released. So to find out more and to register your interest, visit the iPhone website at www.ifontconference.org. And see you there in July 2016. What we've also done for the podcast is we've taken some questions from the kind of wider audience on Twitter and Facebook. So the, the first question we have is from uh, Khalid Nabal Nasser, who's a, a men's health physiotherapist in New York. And, and his question really is, you know, how do we educate the urologists about the role of physiotherapy on pre and post prostatectomy patients? Well, I think we talk to them and, and definitely I think um, speaking to them is what is one way of telling, explaining to them what we can do. I think the second thing is, is research to produce the research so we can say, look, when we put these, um, when we do this, when we do this treatment on these patients, when we get them pre and post op they recover better um, and we, we, we make sure we engage with them and we kind of get out there as physiotherapists and say this this is what we can do. And we speak to, to them and network and network and network. Because literally the amount of urologists that contacted us after the, pod, the Radio for Women's thing, they were just going, oh, 
you can do this, really? And when I did this talk in sexual medicine group in Bristol the other day, I didn't know that physiotherapists did that. And literally, a man talking about a professor associated with erectile dysfunction. I said to him afterwards, I said, because he was talking about all the drugs that he would give, I said, you send them to physiotherapy. He went, why would I send them to physiotherapy? Well, there's been a randomised controlled trial showing the effectiveness of physiotherapy with Grace Dory's work. Mm. He said, oh, my physiotherapist wouldn't know how to do that. I said, oh, yes, they would, because I taught them. And mm. that's the point, is the fact that they have no education, and that's rubbish. So therefore, by basically the physiotherapist going, do you understand that you can help this way? That's what they have to do. And I think they, they love it, to be honest. They I mean, I, I think once you... And it's better them, care and better outcomes they, they, for their, they, for they their patients. They don't know what to do with these patients. So when you tell them we have something to offer, they, they love, love it. it. They love, love it. it. And Sorry. second question is from Elaine Miller, who's a uh, <laughs> uh, women's health physiotherapist. No, don't get any from her. No, <laughs> no not Based in Edinburgh. And <laughs> Elaine is a very strong advocate for the role of physiotherapy, Absolutely. particularly in women's health. Absolutely. So Elaine's question really is, you know, do you think the figure of one in nine men having continence problems is accurate? Well, I would think that it probably isn't accurate mm. because I, I think that men don't want to admit mm. that Absolutely. that's an issue. And, and my experience has been in the clinic that, um, that patients will come to see me and I'm treating their lumbar spine and their pelvic floor and I notice that they're wearing pads in their underwear. Exactly. And I will say to them, can I ask you why you're wearing that? And they'll say, well, I, I, it just makes me feel a bit better if I go outside because I'm worrying about dribbling or leaking. Exactly. And post-prostatectomy, what would you say? I know it varies, it depends on the type of procedure, but what would be some general figures post-prostatectomy be for male incontinence? I don't actually know the answer. I don't know the answer to that at all, at all. But but there's been some. Is it? Hasn't it been? um, Hasn't there been a little bit of research suggesting that if you had physio prior to and post, I think pre-op physio that you do better outcome. You better outcome than But I couldn't quote what had done that. And Adrian, Adrian has the next question. Well, I've got a couple actually. Can I just ask with with continence? Does that include you know, as you say, wearing a pad, so they're worried about, you know, having a, an accident or something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's a leak. Yeah, or is yeah, it about yeah. not being able to enter their bladder? Or... Exactly. Thank you yeah. for asking that. I think we're, we're the incomplete voiding thing exactly. is, is something that, that's another thing that they might experience, but sure. not really be absolutely Because obviously incontinence, that. people think about, you know, like you say, it leakage is. and it stuff. Is. And they do, the fact is that they, there's, sometimes they have completely voided Mm -hmm. but they don't feel as if they have Mm -hmm. so that sensation of and again that can be often associated with overactivity of the pelvic floor muscles Mm -hmm. the fact that they haven't been able to let go Mm -hmm. it can be to do a very structural thing about the fact that it might be a little bit of a dip if you like in the bladder type thing so the thing is they can't let go, and the same sort of thing with defecation disorders and things like this, that actually they have to strain to go to the bathroom, which is completely inappropriate. And so that aspect there about going, one, there's a feeling, two, there's an actual accuracy as well. So sometimes they have voided, but they don't feel as if they have, and other times that they actually haven't voided everything. And I think there's also the issue of frequency. When yes, they, they, might, they might go for a pee, and one minute later, they, they feel they, need, they want exactly. to go again. Okay. 
The interesting thing about that is it's not just that you, you think, oh, I need a pee. They often have this intense sense they need to go for a pee. Yeah. It'll be like a minute later, it's like almost they feel like their bladder's full, but they've yeah. not drunk anything. So they know they're not, you know, the, the input-output imbalance is there. But And and, and us, as physiotherapists, we're obviously comfortable or getting more comfortable at asking about, you know, saddle anaesthesia, mm -hmm. problems with bowel and bladder. Are those things an opportunity for us in the subject history taking for us to really delve oh, yeah. into this I, the I, pelvic I, floor I, questioning? I, I think that is the springboard to asking about sexual dysfunction. I, can, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Because we're happy with that. That's a great question, actually, because I think that it is the, the thing that would bridge the musculoskeletal physio questioning to see, the pelvic floor questioning. Uh, like, even Definitely. just the, like the inverted commas, the cyclists, the thing is that people are unaware of that. Sometimes when you cycle loads and loads and loads and loads, there can be some saddle anaesthesia. If somebody says, actually, when I cycle a long time or do something, I can actually feel nothing anywhere there, then... So that's an in... It's, in, a, it's an in exactly that, exactly. yeah, totally. It's and totally. we have a great question from Sandy Hilton, who's based in Chicago. In the UK, you know, what's, what are some of the key differences in the management of prostatitis versus pelvic pain? Nothing. Actually, I don't think there's any difference. I think there's. When I started this uh, job, uh, treating for pain, basically every every guy that came to see me this like 10, 15 years ago would have a diagnosis of, of chronic, chronic prostatitis. prostatitis. And when the very first one walked into my clinic, I thought, well, what are you doing here? Because I don't treat prostatitis, so I, I, don't, I don't know what to do with you. I think you probably made a lot wrong turning somewhere, and you're, you're in the, the wrong room because I don't I don't treat that. And then when he told me what his other symptoms were, I thought, oh, well, I could probably treat that. So I don't, I don't think there's any difference between the two things. Because I think, actually, the, it's, it's like low back pain. It's this umbrella definition okay. that covers so many things. But, but what we see is, is it's about pelvic floor dysfunction. Yeah. And we've got two great questions from Joanne Milius. So Joanne, a lot of people will know in, in the world of men's health. She's based in Perth in Western Australia, and she's at Prostate Joe on, on Twitter. And she uh, has a big kind of prostate clinic in Perth, and she's doing her PhD in that area. And she's done a lot of work in, in Australia and at WCPT on, on really trying to get the message out there about men's health physiotherapy. physiotherapy. Uh, so is how can physios help with both erectile dysfunction and overactive bladder? So what are some of the key things that, that, that we can do? Well, I think that... Assess the pelvic Assess the pelvic <laughs> the first thing. See, see what's going on. See what's going on with the muscles. Um, see whether there's overactivity. See whether there's underactivity. See whether there's um, weakness. weakness. Because we know from great stories work that if people have weak pelvic floors, and we strengthen them, they get better. Absolutely. Their ejaculatory function you know, improves significantly. Um, so I think that we, as simple as that, we assess the pelvic floor, we see how see what the pelvic floor feels like, see what see if they're strong, see if they're over if they're overactive, um, and just treat what you find and reassess. Reassess. Brilliant, this is great guys. Uh Uzo Ahiog is the uh, communications secretary for the MACP. And Uzo's question really is, is urinary incontinence as common in men as it is in women in really high intensity sports like possibly weightlifting, CrossFit? crossfit? What well, do you think? Uh, well, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's interesting. The CrossFit thing is really interesting because a good friend of mine in Edinburgh has a CrossFit gym. And um, so I kind of follow him 
on Twitter and Facebook and stuff. And there was a, a an article not that long ago about um, people weeing themselves yeah. during cr CrossFit Absolutely. classes. Absolutely. And it was kind of like some kind of badge of honour that if you were working that, that hard, you were squeezing the urine out of your oh. bladder. But these people had really good core. And, and, I, and I, I thought, I looked at it and I thought, Oh my goodness, that is just so. I, it's I, all wrong. So I phoned Jamie and said, "We need to have a chat about what people are doing in in in, in your classes, and, and if you have people like that." And luckily, his wife's a physio, so he said, she had said to him, "That's not going to happen in exactly. your classes because actually, I think you know that high intensity weightlifting, high intensity sport. You, I'm not sure that it's more prevalent. I mean, certainly, if you look at different sports, if you look but it at definitely happens. It definitely, it definitely happens. happens. Yeah. And the thing is, what I would always say, I am not anti any form of sport or activity. I love that. But when you're doing your class, contract where you need to contract. But let go afterwards. And that is the whole point, is if you're doing a Pilates class, if you're doing a CrossFit thing and they're saying, contract here, let go after you've finished. Yes, when you do my exercises, contract your stomach muscles. When you've finished, let go of them. Because neurophysiologically, if you're always holding onto your stomach, you're always holding onto your pelvic floor. You have to learn to let go. And the final question from the kind of Twitter, Facebook sphere is from Joe Badham, who is a sports and men's health physio in London and who does a lot of work with Maria Elliott. And his question is, why are there so few men's health physiotherapists? Because there's not been enough blinking courses. Okay, and so this true. is why we, we were oversubscribed for this course and we are going to continue to do it. This is the first one, I think, that has actually been happened. We've done a little bit of stuff together, yeah, but this is the first the, kind of full course, really. The full, that full yeah. course. We've never had musculoskeletal physios on it. And this is the whole point, is that I love the fact that musculoskeletal physios are going, you know what, it's just another muscle. And you have yeah. six male physios on it, yeah. and three MACP members. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, I, I don't think that um, musculoskeletal physios thought it was in their remit. Yes, exactly. They, they just didn't think it was something they would look at. But actually... It is. it is, and it should be, and it always. And, and do you think there's a nice opportunity on the back of that? Um, obviously, we you know we talk about palpation of the of the pelvic floor, um, but certainly physios there's a growing trend using dynamic ultrasound. You yeah. know, in terms of encouraging more physios into that domain, because it seems to be you know we, we've got a such a, a unique skill set. And the point being is is that because on ultrasound they've shown that in men okay, with dysfunction. The anorectal angle is more acute, basically, the displacement is much, much less on ultrasound. So if you are a physiotherapist who knows how to use ultrasound, when you see that, you go, I need to learn how to teach them to let go Perfect. without question. There's research behind that, and yes, we are so behind male pelvic floor stuff. We are. And I think yeah. the other thing about ultrasound is that men love gadgets. They love seeing the pelvic floor improve on an ultrasound image. Absolutely. The, the biofeedback is unbelievable. And I think this is really a personal question for myself. So my perception was... Are you sure you want to ask this question? Yes, it's, <laughs> it's not that personal. Uh, my perception really was that in order to do men's health physio, you first of all had to develop a lot of expertise at w within women's health physiotherapy. 
which which I really maybe wasn't that interested in. Well, but but then I met uh, Joanne Milius, who is someone who has just done men's health physiotherapy. So do you feel that that's a barrier to people getting involved? Well, I think the problem was there was no route, there was no educational route to go down to develop men's health skills. And I think I, I was really lucky because I met Ruth quite early on in my uh, men's health um, kind of skills development. That's a very lovely thing to say. And she's been amazing in kind of helping me, supporting me, and, and kind of pointing me in the right direction. And I have been on a couple of women's health courses because actually that those were the only courses that you could go on yeah. over the past few years. And I have to say, met some amazing women, learned some amazing stuff. But actually when you went back to the clinic, it mm -hmm. still was women's health and you had to modify it and alter it. And I think that's been, it's been that lack of education, that lack, I think also maybe that lack of perception that there was yeah. a need for it. That's very true. Absolutely. And, and that, that is yeah. completely the whole point is the fact that men have problems too. And if we can just raise the awareness, that. So do you think that things like Movember, Prostitute UK, Men United have, it's have helped? Yeah, absolutely. It's absolutely. absolutely. Do you feel it should be a separate specialty? No. To what? To women's health. <laughs> to women's health to physiotherapy. What? No, the thing is, the point being is it's a muscle. And so I hate the fact that it's... When they talked about the Association of Charter Physiotherapists and Women's Health, it's the pelvic floor. So maybe pelvic health? Yes. I, I think, I think what, what would be amazing is if, if the musculoskeletal physios could develop skills in the pelvic area. Absolutely. And if the pelvic physiotherapist could develop skills in the musculoskeletal ah, area. Would be, and I, I think that would be the that best. That sounds very that ideal. Be, that that sounds good. That would be the best outcome for everybody. Right Absolutely. Now. Because the thing is about the musculoskeletal physios is that they've got the clinical reasoning. They've got the palpation skills. And then the inverted commas, women's health physios, they've got the beautiful stuff associated with the pelvic floor, but they don't have the outside understanding. And if we could merge the two, that would be... be the best. It would be the best. Be brilliant. Yeah. And I think what's helped develop maybe an interest in men's health is the men's health uh, physiotherapy group on Facebook mm -hmm. that Joanna set up. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm a, I'm a strong advocate of physios using social media. Mm -hmm. uh, what are your thoughts on the role of social media in men's health physiotherapy? Reduce uh, the threat, reduce the anxiety, go, this is normal, there you go. The point being is, is the fact that once men talk about the problem, and they'll go, actually, I'm not the only one. This is the whole point about Teachers to Sit Still by Tim Parks. He managed to create the fact that I'm not on my own and him just so do you think it also has a role then for for really pay that social media has a role for patient education yes as well completely as as, yeah. as as well as creating a community for men's health physiotherapists I, I think I, I would agree with that I, I would say from my point of view I I like the social media thing I because I think for me I, I as well as the patients feeling quite alone I've felt quite alone and so I had Ruth and I had some people to talk to, but actually, not, it wasn't, a, you couldn't, I wouldn't go out and say, oh, this is what I do. It yeah. took me a long time before I said, what do you do? Well, actually, I do this, men's health, physiotherapy. 
And, and therein lies the problem of society, isn't it? Exactly. And I made, I made a concerted effort at some point 10 years ago to say, if people ask me what I do, I'm just going to tell them. If they walk away, they walk away. And that's, that's the whole point, is the fact that if we can just, with social media, go, this is common. It reduces the threat and reduces the anxiety. And therefore, people who have been so afraid to say, actually... I have a little bit of a problem with this. Mm. We'll go, it's normal. It's a really lonely place for it patients really, to be. They really really actually lonely. feel that they're the only people, that exactly. the only person that has this. And Bill, you're a busy person. You have a very busy clinic. You're teaching. Can we get you to join Twitter? Because I, I think, I, I think Twitter, would, Twitter, would, <laughs> I Twitter would be a better place with you on it. Well, that's a very nice, nice thing for you to say. Um, have a think He's about busy it. Enough I, actually, as it is. I, I have a Twitter account. Right. You just doesn't use it. And uh, <laughs> you know, we're, we are, we have been very fortunate in the UK in that we've had Professor Grace Dory, who's been uh, you know a very strong advocate for men's health physiotherapy, uh, and and Grace has done some fantastic work on uh, the role of men's health physiotherapy and pelvic rehab. Apart from reading Professor Dory's work. What other two or three people should we be looking at? Ruth Jones. Oh, go away. And Ruth's book is, is what's yeah, the book I called, Ruth? It's called Chronic Power Pain and Dysfunction, Practical Physical Medicine. And I'll say that again. I love that book. I know I co-edited it and I don't, I'm not trying to, it was just so lovely in the way that we've got every profession contributing to that. And it just, it's an easy book to read. And the thing is, what it then does is it goes, oh, I'd like to know a little bit more about that. And, I, and I think if you're a musculoskeletal physio, yeah, and, and I know I wrote a chapter on it, but I mean, if, if, you, if you, you buy it, if you're an MSK physio, I think it does give you enough to ignite the interest yeah. in you be able to do something. And I think, I hope it maybe makes musculoskeletal physios have an idea that they could be involved in it. Because Absolutely. I think that was one of the... That it's was reducing the, the, the threat. Roles, it's yeah. reducing the threat. And, and I think, apart from your book, Ruth, obviously, oh, no, which no, I have no, a copy of at home, uh, what I found really good was Peter Dornan's book from Australia. Oh, It's quite nice because you kind of feel it's written by a musculoskeletal physicist, so it's something that we can understand. You kind of ties it into the musculoskeletal thing. I think, yeah. it, I think it seems to be a very exciting time for men's health physiotherapy. Yeah. You know, there's the Facebook group has grown... This week we had the release of the Paul Hodges and his colleagues podcast it's from the fabulous. Australian Physio Association. So a lot of exciting things are happening. Uh, last question, really. What do you see as the future of men's health physiotherapy, Ruth? It's just going to grow. And I don't just mean in the fact of erection. <laughs> <laughs> I just mean Yeah, that. you do. Yeah, that's, do. Exactly that's exactly what you mean. That's exactly what you mean. But the point being is, it's just another muscle. And I think that if people feel comfortable about asking those questions, going alongside this groin pain or abdominal pain, do you have these sort of issues too? I think it would just be wonderful because the thing is, the research in men's health is so behind the women's health stuff. And I think it would just be magical and it would make me feel like I've lived a really good life if I feel as if I've contributed even a tiny bit to that. And Bill, what do you see as the future? Do you know what? 
I would love to see more MSK physiotherapists in 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 men's health. Yeah, and, and I think that would take men's health and just set fly. it fly, fly. because fly. I think um, we have the skills, we have the clinical reasoning, we have we have a way of analysing the data that we assess, we're mm -hmm. putting it all together and coming up with some kind of rationale treatment that we implement and we, I, I just think that's how it's going to go. I think and if we can, if we have, if we have more, more courses, train more MSK physios, get them more interested, get, and I think actually we don't Reduce need, the threat. Yeah. It's just another muscle. Just, like, a, Adrian, like you said, it's an aspect of actually, yeah. you know the thing is, we made it feel so comfortable that we feel like we can actually do this. Was, uh, actually, do. that was an amazing thing for you to say, because yes, actually, I think that's why I, the question that you asked earlier about how can you ask your patients these questions, I think it's because I reduced the threat with my patients. And Ruth does the same. So there is no threat, so you can ask them whatever Everything you want. Like. Okay, uh, before we finish, I'd like to also thank Sandy Hilton and Joanne Millis who helped me formulate the questions. Uh, I'd like to thank Adrian for helping. But it's been a real honour and a privilege to spend time in Ruth's house. And thank you, Ruth, for taking part in the podcast and for playing the piano at the start. <laughs> that was Ruth. And I'd like to thank Bill. And Bill is an inspiration. And thank you for giving up your time. And uh, thank you very much, guys. Thank you. Thank well, you. Oh.